2: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host
3: you're listening to popcorn podcast with lee and tim and in this episode we're discussing last night in soho as well as all the latest movie and trailer news
1: Tim Miffland movie
3: Bar. and I'm Lee Livingstone entertainment journalist
1: and we love to talk all things movies with A Last Night in Soho which is about an aspiring fashion designer who is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s where she encounters a dazzling wannabe singer but the glamour is not all it appears to be Lee and the dreams of the past start to crack and splinter into something darker.
3: Mm. Last Night in Soho is directed by Edgar Wright with a screenplay by Wright and Christy Wilson-Cairns and the movie stars Thomasin McKenzie, Anya Taylor-Joy, Matt Smith and Terence Stamp.
1: This is a somewhat classic coming-of-age story but embroiled in a mystery of a girl who's moving from Cornwall in England to the centre of London to study and pursue fashion. Mm-hmm. She's ambitious, isn't she, uh, Eloise, played by Thomas and Mackenzie.
3: Yep. I was really excited about this project. Can I just say that from the beginning? Mm-hmm. Edgar Wright is an interesting filmmaker who directed the Cornetto trilogy. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. You know, the Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz and The World's End.
1: Sure do. Yeah. Love that series. Love those
3: films. He made those with friend and collaborator Simon Pegg. So Wright is known for blending genres in his films, isn't he? You he, he think about Scott Pilgrim versus The World, for example. Mm. And what starts out as a psychological thriller in Last Night in Soho ends up devolving into a horror that unfortunately I didn't think was particularly effective in that respect. How did you feel about that genre blending?
1: Yeah, that was going to be one of my first questions to ask you because – For me, I I didn't think it worked because it seemed to all of a sudden and quite laboriously lean into that whole supernatural horror genre, like you've said. And I felt it ultimately ended up in the realm of ridiculousness Mm. because nothing was really explained. Nothing was fully realized. And I went out not thinking anything made particular sense Um, and I think you could argue that it is open to interpretation but what are your thoughts in the whole open to interpretation stance in this film changing tone all of a sudden?
3: It can be really interesting when it's done effectively Mm. and there are some parts in this film that are really effective and we'll dive into that a bit later I think ultimately he's trying to show the darker side of this area of London that is just Mm. full of history and was so alive and vibrant in the 1960s and he's juxtaposing those two things particularly well, you know, that colour, that music, that energy with the darker aspects of the film. But I think when it leans into horror, I feel like maybe that's not an area of expertise that Edgar Wright has a lot of experience in.
1: I know we don't discuss things after we see a movie together because we try and keep it fresh on the podcast for you. We do. But one of the things that we did kind of cheekily talk to each other about Mm. was this very thing. And you mentioned how it wasn't particularly well realised, I felt that the same stuff was happening visually over and over again when we're talking supernatural and horror and it just became Mm. so repetitive and it lost its impact.
3: Yeah, there's those markers or mileposts as they say that just Mm. keep touching on but they really labour on them and I think it hits the audience over the head. But to answer your question from before, I think it's really fun when filmmakers trust their audience to take something unique out of their films, which is really great. Mm. But it can also be an issue if some things aren't explained well enough. I mean, it's unclear whether Eloise, played by Thomas and Mackenzie, is experiencing the past or visiting it or just dreaming about it. And I think the details around that in particular could have used a bit of clarity. I mean, it's fairly conveniently set up at the beginning. Yes. They discuss it at the beginning and sort of go, this is the lay of the land, this is what's happening, this is why it's going to happen, and that's fine. But I think that major aspect might have benefited from a bit more exploration.
1: Yeah, because it left me feeling empty about what I just watched Mm -hmm. because there weren't any clear answers, which usually in some films is fine. But I think this film, it owed us to answer some of these things because what it tried to do was balance three things – It blurred between what's real, Mm -hmm. what's a dream, and there might be what Ellie's version of reality is. And they're very complicated layers to a story that you can't Mm. leave the audience high and dry about because it's just rude.
3: And I think (laughs) when you talk about Eloise's reality, Mm. I think her grip on reality was an aspect of the film that could have been done a bit better. I think it made too much light of mental health struggles. As a plot device.
1: Yeah. Can we talk about that a little further? Because Mm. her relationship with her grandmother at the beginning of the film, who she leaves behind in Cornwall, was really worried about Ellie. Yeah. And you kind of got these inklings that she wasn't all, you know, together in the mind. She's had some anxiety issues, Mm -hmm. uh, gets overwhelmed quite easily, which is touched on in the film. But then there was another layer of the film that talks to mental health struggle Mm. that was never developed, which was the element of the story about her mum Yeah, because she kept saying she was moving to London for her mum. She kept seeing her mum in visions, and her mum kept getting mentioned, but there was no real relevance or importance to her inclusion in the story. Ultimately, yeah, and there was no decided connection, and I felt like it was just a really unnecessary element of the story that went nowhere. Yeah, how did you feel about that?
3: Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. Yeah,
1: but she was meant to have had mental health issues her mother. Yeah. That was that was what was implied, mm. but it never developed into anything which was just confusing.
3: But then they use that as a plot device and Eloise starts to sort of I guess lose her grip on reality, and they could have woven those mental health struggles into that a bit better.
1: Yeah, it would have made for a much more compelling mm. story, I think where it lacked. Some depth.
3: But there are, on the other hand, a lot of contradictions and juxtapositions in the story that are intentional and are effective. You know, it's fun and it's flirty, but it's also dark and menacing. And I really liked that light and shade that they had in the story.
1: Speaking of light and shade, Mm. I found the opening of the film super cute. That's when we're first introduced to Eloise in her bedroom. She's living out her fashion designer fantasy, isn't she? It's quite sweet Mm -hmm. as we first learn of her love and obsession with the 60s era as she's dancing to her record collection. I love that introduction to her character.
3: Yeah, very cool. Speaking of Thomason Mackenzie, how did you feel about her performance? It felt very timid to me, even when it wasn't supposed to be.
1: Timid's a good way to describe her performance. I felt like she certainly lent into the areas of a character that she should have around her being innocent, easily overwhelmed around people because she's quite idealistic, isn't she, Mm. as a character? I mean,
3: as the film wears on, Her character, Eloise, becomes influenced, I guess you would say, by the glamour of Sandy, played by Anya Taylor-Joy. And she sort of adopts her style and confidence and starts to lose her grip on reality, as we said. But they missed an opportunity there to delve into her character, as we said, and struggles with mental health more than they did. I think it was spectacle over substance in some areas when when it comes to the characters.
1: Yeah, I mean, she chooses to escape to the 60s Mm. as a character and she literally gets the opportunity to escape to the 60s Mm. through her experience, the dreams that she has, to feel alive. But within that world, she's exposed to like a really dark underbelly of that time period that she wasn't expecting. Mm. And, yeah, it, w- it was an interesting journey to follow with her, but I think that brings us back to some of those plot and story development layers that mm. just didn't quite add up.
3: Yeah. I've seen this film referred to as a hot mess around the internets, <laughs> and that would be Anya Taylor-Joy and Thomas and Mackenzie would be the hot parts, while the rest is a, a bit of a mess. Well, what do you say to that?
1: I can agree with that. And just on Anya Taylor-Joy... Ooh. She embodies the look of the 60s. Yeah. Perfect piece of casting there. What do you reckon?
3: Gorgeous. And I enjoyed her performance a lot, actually, as a, she's a doomed young woman with dreams of being a star and she had a lot to work with in terms of a character. And I think she did a great job.
1: Yeah. Sandy is her character and she's embroiled in all sorts of trouble, right? Mm. That we discover along the way. And she's been taken advantage of all to become a star, yeah. right? That's what she's promised. That's what she wants. That's what she's yearning and eager for. Yeah. And so focused on, but it's all under false pretenses. And you actually feel very, very strongly for her ploy to find that in her life. Yeah. But she's then stuck in this situation that she can't get out of. And it's quite sinister, isn't it? Yeah.
3: She's quite a compelling character and absolutely gorgeous.
1: Beautiful. Her features are just amazing. Those eyes, my goodness, Mm. you can't look away from those eyes.
3: Yeah. And your Taylor Joy's. Sandy has a very Bridget Bardot look about her, doesn't she? Mm. While Thomas and Mackenzie's Eloise is more eclectic vintage shop sort of look. But as the movie progresses, their styles and looks need to somewhat meet And that comes down to costume designer Odile Dix Moreau, who did a fantastic job of bringing the life of the authentic 60s look, but keeping it young and fresh, don't you think?
1: Yeah. And I think it managed the young and fresh angle because the 60s look was being explored in modern day London. Yeah. Because Eloise was in, you know, London in now, Mm. 2021 or whatever, Uh, vintage shopping and all that sort of stuff. I, I did enjoy her physical transformation when she coloured her hair blonde, uh, when she bought key outfits that she'd obviously seen in her visions or dreams, whatever you want to call them. But this might be getting a little bit silly but at times she just looked like a panda in headlights roaming the streets of Soho you know when her (laughs) eye makeup became quite dark (laughs) it was quite a striking visual change to her aesthetic that I found a bit funny at times.
3: Apart from the looks of the 60s music features very heavily here and that's a signature of Edgar Wright's films you know he's made some sublime choices here to set the tone of the 60s and the film overall we've got Scylla Black's You're My World, which was haunting and gorgeous. And then Petula Clark's, you know, downtown.
1: Lee, I've had that song stuck on my head all week since we saw this film. I was
3: going to say that too. (laughs) The soundtrack's just been playing over and over in my head.
1: Uh, It's such a beautiful soundtrack. And just to echo your sentiment there, I completely agree. Edgar Wright, he's known for expertly curated soundtracks. Yeah. And his film clearly demonstrates how influenced he is by music in his films. Mm. And he uses it as a tool, not only to transport you to an era, but also to reflect the story at a deeper level as well. And that's beautifully realised in Last Night in Soho.
3: Just make the musical already, Edgar.
1: Has he not made a musical? No,
3: not strictly a musical. No, I don't think so. Yeah.
1: Despite how heavily he leans on music yeah that's his next move i agree like get on with it mate get on with it
3: can we talk about the sets and the cinematography anya taylor joy has described this movie as a neon fueled nightmare and i think that's perfect description, A, and B, it's very effective in setting that scene visually through the sets and cinematography. They they really shot in Soho. Did you know that?
1: Yeah, yeah. They filmed in the actual streets of yeah. London and Soho. It was so good to see. I mean, you and I have both lived in London yeah. at some point in our lives. It was a great experience yeah. to be taken back there, wasn't it? For
3: those who aren't familiar with it, Soho is a small section of central London that really feels out of place in time, doesn't it? It feels like another mm. world. It's amazing. If you've ever been there, you know what we're talking about.
1: You, you can tell that it's such an important visual stamp that this film delivers well, mm-hmm. like the sets and, and the cinematography. London has so much character and from a visual point of view, this film not only delivers on the unique aesthetic of the sixties era but paints a very different picture to what you might expect of the area. Just like it did for Ellie, it takes us to the shadowy alleyways and dark corners of the romanticised Soho, mm. which was a great experience. Yeah.
3: And what Edgar Wright does with the camera is really interesting too. There are some really clever camera techniques in this film, especially when the main girls are interchanging to show that they're existing in the same space in the dream world. It's incredibly effective and just gorgeous to watch.
1: Oh, I was obsessed with everything the camera was doing in this movie. Yeah. The dance sequence in Café de Paris Mm -hmm. was editing at its best, right? I was astonished watching that scene play out. The constant movement of the camera mixed with the lighting, the choreography, my goodness. And then, of course, the performances because Matt Smith Mm -hmm. was having to act alongside two actresses but within the same scene. It's hard to explain unless you've seen it. And
3: do it in exactly the same way twice, basically.
1: I wonder how long it took them to one, rehearse, and then two, film, and then three, edit that sequence together. What a feat of filmmaking.
3: absolutely amazing. And Edgar Wright also has this kinetic way of editing his scenes that really pull you in and give it a lot of energy and vibrancy, and that's just the perfect example that you said just right there.
1: Yeah, I love your use of kinetic Mm. editing. You definitely got that in a previous film of his called Baby Driver. Yep. Have you seen yes. Baby Driver? Yes. Yeah. Kinetic editing, the sound mix of the cars and everything. But there's a different kind of element of that kinetic mm-hmm. editing here that He's uh, gone Mm. above and beyond this time.
3: If we can drop the other foot on that, though, there was a tendency to be heavy handed with the foreshadowing, especially and some shots. Mm -hmm. They're really driving those details into the audience to the point that you go, all right, okay, yeah, we got it. We saw that. We saw that letter. We saw that picture. We saw that moment. We get it.
1: I think it was trying too hard to keep you on side Yep. To convince you where the story was going, because ultimately it wasn't really all that clear. So they had to lean into some very overt dialogue mm. and visual stimulus over and over. Mm. Like, I, I recall this scene, Lee, on the streets of Soho, where the bar owner basically says who that character is and overtly describes verbatim, like, oh, just so you know, have you caught up? Did you pick up on that change? Mm. And I was like, oh, for God's sake, thanks yeah. for the spoon feed. <laughs> yeah,
3: exactly. It takes show, don't tell. Too far, really.
1: Couldn't have said it better.
3: Well, are we ready to wrap up Last Night in Soho? Yeah,
1: let's give it a go, Leigh.
3: Okay, well, Last Night in Soho is a dazzling visual and musical feast that's fun and flirty and mesmerising to watch until things take a dark turn for the characters. And unfortunately, that's where the movie succumbs to its own heavy-handed chaos and noise. The third act fell down for me. Or maybe it was halfway through. (laughs) It's more a collection of imaginative, creative visions than a fully formed, suspense-filled thriller, because it loses its power from what started out as a really promising premise. But it is full of gorgeous sets, costumes, music, and creative choices, so Last Night in Soho is definitely worth the trip downtown to see. I'm giving it three and a half popcorn kernels.
1: Well, I really wanted to like this film, and there are many elements that are worth celebrating. It was visually arresting. 1960s London is realised beautifully with the costumes, sets, music, all talking in sync. But narratively hollow, it's the story and script that leave scratches on the record that can't be buffed out, which softens the impact the film is trying to deliver. So I'm going to rate Last Night in Soho two and a half popcorn kernels.
3: There you have it on the opposite sides of the fence again. <laughs> Last Night in Soho is in Australian cinemas now.
1: All right, Lee, let's jump straight into movie and trailer news and the biggest trailer of the year. That's where we're going to start. Marvel Studios and Sony dropped a new Spider-Man No Way Home trailer this weekend. Boy, oh boy, was it action-packed. Let's break it down.
3: That's an understatement. The rumor mill (laughs) has been in overdrive anticipating this second trailer as we hoped and we prayed for confirmed glimpses of Spidey's classic foes. And did we get them?
1: We did. Now try and keep up. We now have confirmed sightings of Dr. Rock. The Green Goblin, Electro, Sandman and Lizard, Butley. No sight of Tobey Maguire (laughs) or Andrew Garfield, Kirsten Dunst or Emma Stone, but we live in hope.
3: Well, they have to keep something back for the movie, don't they? I was quite surprised that they've revealed so many villains.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, there wouldn't be much of the movie to show in a trailer if they didn't reveal things because (laughs) it just nothing in the trailer.
3: (laughs) But that has me excited for what they haven't revealed. There has to be some big stuff Mm. going on in there. It's rumoured now that Sony are setting the stage for a Sinister Six spin-off. The original Sinister Six in the comics is a group of supervillains comprised of Dr. Ock, Vulture, Electro, Mysterio, Sandman and Craven the Hunter. In the movies, we're obviously getting Lizard instead of Craven. And perhaps Michael Keaton's Vulture? Because he appeared in the Morbius trailer, didn't he? Was that Vulture? Yeah.
1: That's Vulture. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, well, maybe more will be revealed once the film finally comes out.
3: Just on that, Michael Keaton Mm -hmm. is just having a moment right now, isn't he?
1: I'm obsessed with this moment.
3: Batman movie, Marvel movies, Spider-Man, he's everywhere. I love it.
1: I love it. I love it. I love it. All right, so Spider-Man No Way Home is swinging into Australian cinemas on December 16 not long folks
3: Mel Gibson has confirmed he's directing Lethal Weapon 5 it's been more than 30 years since Gibson first stepped into the role of rogue detective Riggs alongside Danny I'm too old for this shit glovers Murta <laughs>
1: Nice, nice. Well, Gibson let the news slip that he will take over directing duties from Richard Donner, who directed all four of the previous films after he sadly died in July of this year. Yeah,
3: that's Donner, not Gibson. Gibson's still around.
1: Gibson is still kicking, yes. (laughs) Thanks for clarifying.
3: (laughs) Apparently, Donner had been developing the screenplay and he said to Gibson, listen, kid, if I kick the bucket, you will do it. And although Gibson says he didn't take any stock of it at the time, he will now fulfill the late director's wishes and helm the sequel.
1: I want to hear you say, listen, kid, in every podcast episode listen, from here on Listen, kid. Out. I don't
3: even know what Richard Donner sounds like, but in my head, that's what he sounds like.
1: Listen, kid. In probably the most random piece of news to share this week, Halle Berry has said she wants to remake Catwoman As director, let's unpack this, Lee, shall we?
3: Why do you say this is random?
1: Well, I mean, Catwoman came out in 2004. Yeah. I just find that really, really random that she's gone mentally to go, Mm. you know what? I'd love the opportunity to remake that absolute bomb piece yeah. of shit that I was part of almost 20 years ago. Well,
3: it would make sense that she'd want a do-over. True. She has said that she'd love to direct Catwoman, if I can get a hold of that now, knowing what I know, having had this experience on her new movie, Bruised, and reimagine that world the way I reimagined this story.
1: You are right. Everyone does deserve a do-over. Yeah. So maybe, maybe Hallie. Is deserved of this, well, just to quickly touch on Bruised, uh, which you can catch on Netflix, is about an MMA fighter looking for redemption and was apparently written for a white Irish Catholic 25 year old girl. But Barry reimagined it for her age and ethnicity, so now she wants to go back and reimagine Catwoman in a similar way, I guess.
3: Yeah, I don't get how that works because Catwoman, <laughs> Halle Berry, she is ethnic and yeah. I guess the age thing, yeah, maybe she's a bit older. Would she be playing Catwoman or just directing it?
1: I would love to see her play Catwoman again. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter from an age perspective. She's absolute kicking it. I mean, she's playing an MMA fighter in Bruised, goodness me.
3: Amazing. So, Berry went on to say, I would have Catwoman saving the world like most male superheroes do and not just saving women from their faces cracking off. I would what does that mean?
1: Well that's what happens in, in Catwoman. Oh They're, yeah, it's a cosmetic company. Sharon that's Stone's the baddie right. and she makes this cream that makes people's faces crack.
3: I feel like I, know. I feel like I've blocked <laughs> most of this movie out. I do not remember that at all.
1: Halle Berry is opening up healed wounds yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah.
3: So she said she would make the stakes a lot higher and make it more inclusive of both men and women. Lovely, Mm.
1: lovely. All right, Lee, goodness gracious, this piece of news, Mm. a Harry Potter 20th anniversary return to Hogwarts special, is coming to HBO Max on January 1 in the US, reuniting stars Daniel Radcliffe, Rupert Grint and Emma Watson, along with a huge ensemble of main characters, But conspicuously absent will be J.K. Rowling, who has courted controversy in recent years with her comments around gender.
3: The feature will tell an enchanting making of story through all new in-depth interviews and cast conversations, according to HBO Max.
1: And it won't be just the iconic trio making an appearance in the special. We can expect to see Helena Bonham Carter, Robbie Coltrane, Ray Fiennes, Jason Isaacs. Gary Oldman, Imelda Staunton, Tom Felton, Bonnie Wright, Matthew Lewis, and many, many more.
3: So exciting. Although this isn't confirmed at this stage... We suspect it will be available to watch on Binge and Foxtel here in Australia on or around January 2nd. That's usually when we get it because the Friends reunion special aired on Binge as well.
1: I know we don't talk TV, but did you watch the Friends reunion? I did
3: and I was a little disappointed in it. It was so lovely to see everyone oh. back together, but I think they could have done more with
1: it. Yeah, I reckon considering how much they got paid oh, to do it. Gosh. I think it was $2 million a apiece. Yeah,
3: I mean, I would have liked to have seen more behind the scenes stuff and things we didn't already know i mean the revelation that david swimmer and jennifer aniston had major crushes on each other was was pretty cool but apart from that it it was pretty middle of the road
1: yeah quite surface level yeah Mm. Lee, Greta Gerwig is set to write the live-action Snow White for Disney. Mm. We recently reported that the film already has its leading ladies in the way of Gal Gadot as the evil queen, amazing, and Rachel Ziegler as Snow White.
3: So Gerwig is coming off the back of writing and directing the live-action Barbie film, starring Margot Robbie and possibly Ryan Gosling as Ken. So quite a change of pace, although I guess not. Really? Toys to Disney?
1: Super excited to see what she's going to do with Barbie and keen that she's involved in Snow White. So, yeah, I'm keen.
3: This week, Tim, we got a very small glimpse of Baz Luhrmann's untitled Elvis Presley biopic on his social media. He's having a great time on social media at the moment, by the way. If you're not following him head over there because there's lots of insights about Romeo and Juliet's 25th anniversary, which is amazing. So little is known about the specifics of the Elvis storyline, but we got to see somewhat of a first look at Austin Butler as Elvis with a taste of his singing chops as the iconic rock and roller. What did you think?
1: I loved this little tease. It was so short. I think like 20 seconds or Mm. 15 seconds so, I mean, it really did lean into the definition of tease. Yep. And all you got was like silhouettes of Austin Butler, yeah. kind of little ins and outs of his voice. I am really looking forward to this. Yeah,
3: me too. Love a Baz Luhrmann film.
1: The film stars Tom Hanks, Austin Butler, Kelvin Harrison Jr., David Wenham, Cody Smith-McPhee and Richard Roxburgh and is expected in Australian cinemas in June of next year.
3: Can't have a Baz Luhrmann film without Richard Roxburgh or David Wenham. (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's actually true.
3: (laughs) Love it. Now, Tim, Ridley Scott has confirmed that a script for Gladiator 2 is finished. The film would reportedly feature a time jump and would focus on Lucius, Lucilla's son, played by Spencer Treat Clark in the original movie.
1: There is no stopping Ridley Scott, Lee, who is almost 84 years old oh, and still churning out exciting films, most recently The Last Duel and The House of Gucci, which is making all sorts of noise right Mm -hmm. now. He's also got a new alien movie in the works and a film about Napoleon starring Joaquin Phoenix. He will never stop.
3: There is no stopping this man and I don't want him to either.
1: It's like Clint Eastwood because he's about 137 years old (laughs) and he makes like a movie every other year. (laughs) But he's looked about 137 for the last 30, so I don't know what's going on. He went from hot, hot, hot,
3: hot to 137. (laughs) But still hot Still hot (laughs) Fans are petitioning Universal, Tim, to keep James Corden away from the adaptation of Wicked After the casting announcements of Cynthia Erivo as Elphaba and Ariana Grande as Glinda I feel quite sorry for James Corden
1: Look, I think it's mean
3: It is mean, that is quite mean
1: It's been going around for a while, you know, the theatre kids and their sentiment towards James Corden Mm. Just to explain Corden, he comes from a theatre background and he does have a tendency to appear in a lot of movie musicals, including Cats, The Prom and Cinderella recently Mm. and a couple of years ago, Into the Woods.
3: But what I find sad is that the recent movies that he's done are not indicative of his talent. If you've seen Mm. The History Boys on London's West End, he was fantastic and that was his breakout role and he's really really good like you said he comes from a theater background Mm. um so it is quite sad this sentiment like give the guy a go
1: he just seems to rub people the wrong way for some reason i don't quite get it
3: can't please everyone
1: can't please everyone that is very true
3: although cats was terrible
1: cats was terrible and i'm still slightly curious about the butthole cut of cats (laughs) i don't know whether i'd watch it but (laughs) apparently it exists somewhere
3: Oh dear, on that lovely note, (laughs) that's another episode of Popcorn Podcast for you guys. We covered last night in Soho from director Edgar Wright, which is in Australian cinemas now.
1: All right, guys, as always, thank you so much for listening.
3: And we'll catch you next time. If you enjoy our episodes, head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe. While you're there, we would love you to rate us and leave a review. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Alexa, and where all good podcasts are found. Hold
0: up!